0: I didn't know the first thing about being a founder of a company. I'd never hired anyone before, managed anyone before, uh, raised money, but when I have something in my head, it's not really very shakeable until it's really been shaken.
1: Hi, I'm Jack Owen. I work at Entrepreneur First and every day I talk to ambitious and talented people to work out if they have what it takes to start a company from scratch. What seems to be consistent is that the people who build the best companies have a reason for building them. They have something inside them that means they are going to succeed over everyone else working on the same problem. If we can understand what this something is, then we can spot outliers before their ambitions have even been realised. This is 21st Century Alchemy, a show that looks at the raw materials that make up the best entrepreneurs. Our guest this time, Phoebe Hugh.
0: Hey, I'm Phoebe, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Broly.
1: Broly is a
0: personal insurance startup. We help our customers to really make sense of all of their insurance and bring it into one location.
1: When I think of insurance, I either think of dull men in suits or meerkats with strangely Eastern European accents. And before we even start, there's one burning question I've got to get off my chest. Is insurance interesting? Insurance is fascinating. I have, no, I have zero interest <laughs> in insurance.
0: I think anything can be interesting if you understand it and if you can find ways of changing. Insurance it is a fascinating industry. It's, it's one of the oldest industries. It goes back centuries to the 1600s. Insurance started in a little cafe in London, uh, Lloyd's. You know, it was for... Um, ships that were merchants and they were sharing the risk of losing their ship and and the contents within it. So it was was very important at that time and it's developed. Now it's, um, most people have insurance, partly because it's a legal requirement, but partly because people want to be protected in the event of a catastrophe. It's just such a large industry and it's built on data and it's centred around people. So how could that not be interesting?
1: Phoebe seems to be the kind of person that can actually make insurance interesting. But what exactly is it that Broly does? I'm just starting out in life, but my standards are already pretty high.
0: The insurance industry is incredibly old and most of the products that are being sold today were actually created about a century ago. I suppose the way that people buy insurance, it's fragmented and it can end up being overpriced. We've got millions of customers who are actually inert. So they've been buying in the same way for years and they they just switch off because the process is so cumbersome. Having to go and fill out quote forms is not the most inspiring thing to do on a Sunday, nor is it an easy decision-making process. The products are quite complicated and you really have to understand what you're buying to be able to derive value. So you could have someone who's paying a few thousand pounds too much for a product that doesn't work So when they come to make a claim, they're not actually covered. And we see that time and time again.
1: And it would be nice to know me and my loved ones are covered by
2: insurance for all of your life.
0: Broly is really challenging some of the fundamentals in insurance. Our mission is really to design insurance around people. How we're actually doing that. We're starting by bringing everything into one location. The product is through a smartphone app and we help customers to manage all of their existing insurance portfolios in one central location. We have an email scanner that makes that really easy. So we scrape out insurance policies from people's email accounts and populate their Broly lockers. Then we analyze what customers need against what they're buying. So going through that analysis, we can then identify where they may have gaps in cover or duplication of cover. So If someone's bought travel twice, for instance, we would let them know that and help them to optimize their portfolio. And then finally, help customers to actually purchase through the app. And that's where we partner with major insurance providers who distribute their products through the platform. That means that we can just move customers around the market in a way that works for them and in a way that doesn't involve them having to go back to the old system of having to fill out quote forms and do everything by themselves. So it's really about empowering people to live their lives and still have the trust and the knowledge that their insurance is taken care of. In the future, what this really allows us to do, because we're really getting to the point where we're deeply understanding people and the risks that they face across their lives. So not just their home risk and not just their motor risk. Really, really understanding all the sort of interconnections between their products, which is just them as a person and using new technologies to solve pricing problems. you know we're starting to test AI in different areas of our product which is really exciting you know only so that it makes the product more representative and helps it fit into people's lives so Phoebe I want to go all the way back to the beginning what was your family like I guess most of my childhood was musical So I grew up with my father, who's the principal cellist at the LSA, and my mother, who was the principal double bassist at the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. I spent a lot of time traveling with them on tour and lived in and around my mother's double bass case. My mum being Igbo and Nigerian, and half Irish. She said, having a child is not an illness. In Nigeria, when you have a child, you you just strap your baby on your back and you keep going. And that's kind of what she did with me.
3: I was preparing a production, a Mozart opera, The Marriage of Figaro. Phoebe's mum, Chichi Noanoku. And when I discovered I was expecting my second child, I realised my due dates said that this second child was due on the opening night at Glyndebourne, and I thought, "Ooh, I, you know, I better um, clear that one with the office." And so I was there for all, just about all of the rehearsals, and then I'd been up there for a whole day rehearsing from ten thirty in the morning till six. Drove back to London Fields, where we lived at the time, and she was born the next morning at, in my bedroom. I mean, she could have been born in the pit at the opera house. So I took that day off work (laughs) and I was there a week later for the opening night and she got nicknamed the Glyndebourne Baby. I've gone to Glyndebourne
0: every single year of my life. I spent so much time there because the opera season is about three to four months of the year. I mean, the grounds when we were children um, were, it was sort of like being lost in a wonderland. There was this maze, and it had this dollhouse, and we would you know, go and hide and run around in the in the woods, and um, it was a great place to be as a kid. I've listened to so many different operas and just had some wonderful sort of experiences, and then actually, you know, that's kind of if we went on holiday as children, it was usually to stay at someone's house near there, um, so <laughs> my own could get there easily.
1: OK, so your parents are both musicians. Did did you play any instruments?
0: I played multiple instruments. I mean, I played piano, cello and percussion. And what was your favourite? I loved the cello. Like, I loved listening to my dad play. I mean, even when I hear him play now on the radio, I know if it's him because he has such a unique sound. And I think it's a very sort of humble sound that you get from it the double bass is very deep the violin I think is too high but the cello I think is perfectly in the middle and it's such a diverse instrument you can do so much with it it just makes me feel peaceful
1: And so, you haven't become a professional musician, but you're kind of still interested in that world. You grew up around it. What do you think has stayed with you from that time?
0: I suppose I saw from a young age both of my parents working incredibly hard and things like being able to communicate with the people around you, listening as a very important skill, practice to get better at something, patience, knowing that. You know, you you might not be able to do something today, but the perseverance of seeing it through helps you to achieve a goal. Yeah, it was very important, I think, studying music, and I think it's really important that people continue to do so.
1: As well as all the instruments she played, it seemed Phoebe wanted to take on everything else. You name a hobby, and she was probably doing it.
0: My brother and I had a lot of energy. And I think my my parents knew that they had to get us, you know, things after school to make sure that we had gotten rid of that energy. And you know, pretty much every single day, we were doing either sport or music after school. So that was a mixture of athletics, gymnastics, swimming, lacrosse. I was a long distance runner, so I actually I ran for the county. And, and you know, playing the instruments that we played, and I'm part of the chess club. So I was doing any one of those things.
1: it would seem that this ambitious lifestyle was propelled by one resounding sentiment from her mother.
0: She always said that no was a word that shouldn't ever exist in our vocabulary. If it was a no, then it was probably a maybe. I guess that's how we
3: approach life in that anything is a possibility. I've always been raised to think that hard work and perseverance and you could do whatever you want. You know, I'm a double bass player on the international concert platform. You know, when I first started at the Royal Academy of Music, I was told... I wouldn't have a career in music because I was playing a man's instrument, the double bass. I stand no taller than five foot nothing. So I guess I've been doing that for a while, but just doing it because I can. But what does an ambitious 11-year-old want more than anything? My brother started doing a paper round and
0: he was a year and a half older than me. And I I got quite jealous because I thought, I want to do that. And so
3: um, I asked my mother if I could do the paper round. Phoebe was... Desperate to be independent and to earn her own money and just to do this thing. In fact, they let her start it a little bit younger than she was supposed to be. I think they wanted her to be 11 or 12 or something and she was about to turn 11. I was working five days a week. Every
0: day I'd get up at, you know, 5.36 in the morning. My mum sort of recalled uh, moments where she'd look out her bedroom window and it'd be stark winter and I'd be there in my huge coat.
3: It would be pitch black and I would just hear the front door being closed really quietly and she'd got herself up, showered, into her school uniform, round the corner to the newsagents, got her big trolley with all the newspapers and she'd be trekking and I'd watch her trekking down the road. Oh, I don't really
0: know why I did it back then but it was just something inside me that wanted to kind of go out and, and work for myself I suppose. But also, you know, we, didn't, we weren't given pocket money, so I saw that as my way of earning for myself. Okay, so we've talked all about this extracurricular activity, but
1: I haven't actually asked you about your school life. You must have been a dream student, right?
0: I was a rebellious kid. I mean, I, I had a lot of energy, and I was involved in so many different things that um, meant that I didn't always put all of my focus and energy into particular classes or subjects. But maths was my favourite subject. And when we were choosing our A levels, I wanted to do maths. And my maths teacher told me I wasn't allowed to do maths. I asked why, and she said, because I wasn't going to get an A star or an A or a B. And I was convinced that I could get whatever grade I wanted to get. I think more than anything, despite her, <laughs> I worked really, really hard for the GCSE and I got an A-star and on one of the highest marks in my year. And I think I was more pleased at the fact that I had proven her wrong at that time than the fact that I got the A-star. Do
1: you think those type of experiences have continued through to, to make you who you are or do you think you just got your A-star? and that's what you've got from
0: it. I do think those things matter incredibly. It shapes who you are, you know, the things that drive you forward. And I didn't come from a technical background and I wanted to build a tech company and didn't know how to do that. So I had to have a certain amount of sheer hearted belief in things coming together in the way that I wanted them to in order to make that happen. You know, I've had to keep focused and keep going and if you stop then your vision stops you can't stop it's not an option
1: I think what you said there which was you you can't stop is is something that's so important because really
0: I didn't know the first thing about being a founder of a company I'd never hired anyone before managed anyone before uh, raised money but when I have something in my head, it's not really very shakeable until it's really been shaken.
1: Hi, I'm Jack Owen. I work at Entrepreneur First and every day I talk to ambitious and talented people to work out if they have what it takes to start a company from scratch. What seems to be consistent is that the people who build the best companies have a reason for building them. They have something inside them that means they are going to succeed over everyone else working on the same problem. If we can understand what this something is, then we can spot outliers before their ambitions have even been realised. This is 21st Century Alchemy, a show that looks at the raw materials that make up the best entrepreneurs. Our guest this time, Phoebe Hugh.
0: I'm Phoebe and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Broly. Broly is
1: a personal insurance startup.
0: We help our customers to really make sense of all of their insurance and bring it into one location.
1: When I think of insurance, I either think of dull men in suits or meerkats with strangely Eastern European accents. And before we even start, there's one burning question I've got to get off my chest.
0: Is insurance interesting? Insurance is fascinating.
1: I have, no, I have zero interest <laughs> in insurance.
0: I think anything can be interesting if you understand it and if you can find ways of changing. Insurance it is a fascinating industry. It's it's one of the oldest industries. It goes back centuries to the 1600s. Insurance started in a little cafe in London, uh, Lloyd's. You know, it was for... Um, ships that were merchants and they were sharing the risk of losing their ship and and the contents within it. So it was was very important at that time and it's developed. Now it's, um, most people have insurance, partly because it's a legal requirement, but partly because people want to be protected in the event of a catastrophe. It's just such a large industry and it's built on data and it's centred around people. So how could that not be interesting? It would be here that she built an embryonic version of Broly. i'd heard about it from a friend in the company who was taking part and i thought oh well you know pitching ideas i've got lots of ideas i had sort of prepared what I, I was going to pitch and i got up on stage and um, it was very popular with the other people in the room After the hackathon, I was told that, you know, we would try and get this project going internally. And so I was sort of really, really anxious to get it going. I was just chomping at the bit, like I had to keep the momentum, but I was also going back to doing my sort of day job as well. I was trying to orchestrate this to happen. I was trying to get it moving, get the right people in the room. And it just wasn't really happening very fast. The hackathon was in October and then it got to sort of November and I was thinking, this is really slow. A month later, and we've had one meeting, and it, it's just kind of a meeting um, that you feel that this is not going to go anywhere. When I have something in my head, it's not really very shakable until it's really been shaken. Two days after the hackathon, I went to this Women of the Future summit... And that's where Alice Benting was on a panel about technology and entrepreneurship. And she, in about two seconds, became a role model to me. I was, just, you know, sort of blown away by her and what she was doing. And I knew that she could be key to me unlocking some of the questions that I had in my mind about how I would build the company that I wanted to build. And after the talk, I I was running around trying to find her. I have to speak to this woman and uh, I couldn't find her. So I managed to get her email from somewhere and she came back to me very fast and said to come in for a coffee. You know, I just remember a few really key things from that conversation because she was asking me about... What, what I was doing and I explained that, you know, I'd, I'd worked on this thing. I, I didn't know how to get it to work inside of Viva. Maybe if I learnt to program, then I could build it myself. I had, you know, this team of people that I'd worked with at the hackathon. She just sort of cut through and said, look, why don't you quit your job? And no one had said that to me. And I love that kind of advice. I, I heard someone speaking to me in a language that was enabling me to go and live this dream.
1: But at viva you had this group of people that was going to happen internally, even if it was going to happen slowly. It's a huge organisation. It's got all this resource. It's got all these customers, all this data. Um, it's got team. It's got people
0: around you you know there's there's all all of these resources and, and so on and so forth but I had what I thought was impressive at that time was uh, a team of 10 most of whom were business people And I think there were two engineers and I was like oh I've got this really really great team and I hadn't the first clue about what it was to you know early stage company building and that there's usually like two founders and they're, they're both technical or I said well yes I've been working with these these people on it and she she kind of said oh, you know there's too many people and I said well you know i I've been working with them on it. And she was like, well, just tell them you're quitting your job and are they with you? And I went and did that, actually.
1: What was the speech you made?
0: The speech I made, I was actually genuine in in the sense that, you know, do you want to do this seriously? Do you really believe in this vision? And if so, I'm quitting my job. Do you want to also follow me on this journey? And, you know, each of them had their own thing and didn't want to do that. They weren't ready or willing or in the place where they felt that that was the route to go and so I was sort of free to then pursue it um, independently have you have you seen Jerry Maguire no
1: okay so it's film it's got Tom Cruise in he plays this big sports agent they sign loads of stars Uh, he gets fired from his job because he calls out kind of the corruption and dodginess within it Um, and he flips out a bit I'm
2: not gonna do what you all think I'm gonna do which is just flip out
1: Steals the office goldfish, which is called Flipper.
2: You can call me sentimental. The fish, they're coming with me.
1: And says, like, I'm going to start my own company. It's going to be even better. It's going to be the the new way of doing things. It's going to be super massive. Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? (laughs) And then no one comes with me.
0: (laughs) It was exactly like
1: that. <laughs> Maybe you're the Jerry Maguire of the insurance. Yeah.
0: I should watch that film.
2: This is embarrassing.
1: I think I talk to loads of people who are in exactly the same position as you, where they're in something, they've got a job, they've got an income, life is reasonably safe, it's comfortable. And I think there's a really interesting point around risk here, because you were in an industry which
0: is insurance, which is built entirely around risk. How did you think about it at a time. I was just, just rationally thinking through the outcomes, the possible outcomes. I could very clearly see my path if I had stayed at Aviva because before I decided to build a company. I was thinking, okay, how do I get to C-suite? You know, what is the path to doing that? And I thought, okay, well, I've got to spend some time in operations. So I've got to spend some time in, you know, business development and, and work around different departments, probably, you know, do some kind of accounting qualifications. And I was just really like mapping out how what that route was going to be, which company I'd need to move to to get to my ultimate goal. As soon as I wanted to go, you know, I started thinking about building my own product and company. The alternative to that was, okay, stay in my existing role maybe or maybe not get a promotion in the next year, learn more of the same things that I I already really understand and not really challenging myself enough. I, I didn't feel uncomfortable enough. I knew that the other direction was appealing and exciting and a huge challenge. I didn't know the first thing about being a founder of a company. I'd never hired anyone before, managed anyone before, uh, raised money, run a team. Everything was new, but I believed in my ability to learn. And I think that was what blew my mind.
1: So having left her job, Phoebe came to Entrepreneur First to start Broly. And it was here she would meet the person she could bring this dream to life with.
2: So my name is Mihailo Loganov. I am the uh, CTO and co-founder of Broly. TV and I complement each other in terms of our domain knowledge. So mine is definitely software engineering, technical.
0: I mean, he was programming since he was, you know, 13 years old and working on hardware. And um, so he's a he's a real technologist. He was seven, eight years at Microsoft and then... He was one of the first engineering managers at Skype in the London team, grew that team. So incredibly experienced and that was one of the key things that drew me to him.
2: Phoebe is a lot more uh, organised when it comes to ideation, creativity, um, even things like design and and colours, messaging that has to go out there. Partnering up, uh, I think she has an incredible um, way of of building partnerships and, and networking with people something that for example is definitely not my one of my strong sides the the most obvious one is obviously uh, Phoebe's a lot more extroverted a lot more communicative a lot more creative and i'm a lot more introverted i tend to think and analyze a lot more and, and then come up with answers when and you know Phoebe's a, a, a lot faster and, and relies on her instincts a lot more
0: We balance each other very, very, very well. We discuss everything. We're very level partners. So he's more of the quiet one I'm less of the quiet one. And uh, it's the perfect balance between optimism and pessimism and meeting in the middle. And it's a really strong relationship.
2: What tends to happen if you have similar personalities or similar backgrounds? is there's, there's two things that can happen. Either you'll make the same mistakes So Phoebe and I point each other's potential mistakes out. So overall, we're minimising, hopefully we're minimising on that front. And then the other thing is too many sort of identical people work together. The things that they're not good at are always going to be sort of not done or not at a level. I mean, this sounds like a great match.
1: Did you know this straight away, was it co-founder at first sight? No.
0: I didn't know straight away I mean because I had worked with other co-founders before that, that hadn't worked out and and it's hard when that happens because when you're so tied to achieving something and, and something goes wrong it's really bruising it really hurts and you have to sort of pick yourself up and keep going with an added level of doubt so when I met Mihailo, what I had done in the past was figured out the things that I was looking for from the things that hadn't gone well in the past. And, you know, the advice from EF was always to go into it fully believing. And only when you stop believing, you stop working with that person.
1: So having built up this idea with Mahilo, she got the opportunity to pitch it at Entrepreneur First Demo Day in front of hundreds of top investors.
0: Demo Day felt like the pinnacle. It was the highlight event that we had been working towards for six months.
1: And since then, Broly's been progressing really well.
0: Um, you know, I was full-time fundraising and we actually ended up raising a million pounds, which was a, a huge moment. We closed the round a few days before Christmas with some absolutely amazing investors. It couldn't really have been more perfect. And then now the team has grown. You know, the the product's being tested. We've got really, really exciting partners coming on board. Just going from strength to strength. Why do
1: you think it's important to be challenged? That's, that's something that's come up. You've kind of always been pushing for more, pushing for something stronger, breaking out of uh, Aviva, doing your own thing. Why do that?
0: Well, I think the world only develops when there's revolution and and change on a mass scale. And that's driven by people. And it's, it's usually something that's challenging. So, you know, I, I guess it's part of my DNA in a sense that you know I've grown up with with a strong work ethic and and always pushed myself I've always pushed myself and if I ever feel that I'm not under some kind of pressure or I'm too comfortable there's something that's probably wrong I could probably be doing more I just like the fact that the future is so unknown and that I have an opportunity to help shape that future in a positive way
1: So things are going pretty well now, but it's startups, things can also always go wrong. How do you deal with that uncertainty?
0: I think, you know, when you're when you're building a company, there's there's so many things that can go wrong that means that your company will fail. This, you know, that's why most companies fail. There are just so many different factors at play. I think when you're when you're building, you don't really take those things into account. You're just thinking about how you maximise the chances of success. And that just in, includes an incredible amount of focus and being really, really disciplined with yourself to, to learn, to, to get advice and to figure out problems. You know, it's a constant problem solving. I suppose that's just a way of life when you're, when you're a founder. And I think that does mean you're essentially normalising risks, mainly because you're probably ignoring them. Uh, So I'm aware that the risks are there, but if I focused my time on, on all of the risks, then I probably wouldn't be focusing enough of my time on building a great product.
1: So many of the most ambitious people after university, after graduating, go into what seems like the most ambitious career paths, which are these big schemes in huge prestigious corporates. And everyone kind of ends up on these conveyor belts into insurance or finance. But what we find is within these places, it's not the best environment for the most ambitious people to shine. What I think I take away really from talking to Phoebe is that the importance of someone asking you, why don't you quit your job? To understand that staying within the job is an action and you are actively doing that. I think it's something that most people should do more. Phoebe throughout her life, her career, has always been doing these extracurricular activities, let's say, these things on the side, these things after school, these things outside of work. And she's got this energy and this interest and this hunger to do other projects. And what it seemed like is that the corporate world isn't necessarily the best environment to support that type of hunger, that type of energy. Being able to work full-time on building her own thing is a great way to challenge that, to give the freedom to allow her to express that energy in a way that's really productive, really interesting, and could be really important. This podcast was brought to you by Entrepreneur First and Radio Wolfgang. It featured me, Jack Owen, talking to Phoebe Hugh with contributions from Chi-Chi Noaunoku and Mihailo Loganoff. The executive producer was Harry Watson, and the producers were Ivor Manley and Al Scott. The content manager for Entrepreneur First was Becky Stevens.